Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Every week we come in, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, I love doing this, teaching you guys for me to walk through this. It's playtime for me, living in Jonah. Jonah is a playful book. It's not frivolous, but it's playful. There's some really cool things that happen in this text. And we're going to be living in the book of Jonah. It's a great time. Uh, But here's one thing that's important for for me in this class that we get to do together. And that's that we continually laugh and get to know one another. Uh, And so we're going to do this every night. So if you've ever been to class, you'll know like, yep, he does that at the beginning of every night. And again, it's time at your table. I'm never going to set you up for embarrassment. I'll never ask you to like talk about your deepest, darkest things. You know, if you do that, that's on you. Uh, but I want you to have, have a lot of fun. So let's just start with this. It'll always be some random question. Uh, you're welcome to use your smartphone to kind of accentuate your answer. Okay, if you want to pull it out and use music, or you want to pull up something on you know Google Images and kind of show, yep, this was it. What I want to know is, what is the worst thing you ever paid for a ticket to? Worst thing you ever paid for a ticket to, concert, doesn't matter what it is. You're like, I know exactly what it is. If you've got something at your table like, oh my word, I can't believe I, I paid to go to this. Share that at your table right now. Dumbest thing you ever spent money on in terms of a ticket, go. You keep going, that's all right. Flip it. Best thing you ever spent money for a ticket to. All right, flip that a little bit. Just keep talking. Laugh a little bit. Something you would pay money to buy a ticket to all over again right now. All right, here we go. Hey, let's be a little playful in this. If you, you're welcome to nominate somebody else at their own expense. I'm good with that. Uh, anybody here, you feel like they might have a nomination for the dumbest thing they ever bought a ticket on? And you'd like to call them out right now? Or you're willing to call it yourself? You can do that as well. We've got to have some good examples in a room this big of dumb things somebody bought a ticket to. Nobody ever bought like boys to men tickets, anything like that. Come on, somebody bought tickets. What do you got? What did you go to? Millie Vanelli tickets. There we go. That works. That was not dumb. Sammy loves that one. Anybody else got it? You're like, all right, I went, I went to this. I paid money for it. Any other nominations? Yeah, what do we have back here? Speeding ticket. Dude, that's a winner. That's a great one. Okay? Anybody else got something? You spent money on a ticket. You spent money to go. Someone at our table is unnamed spent a ticket to go to Mexico in front of a hurricane. Oh. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a rough one. All right. And you went. Okay. Not only did you buy the ticket, you went. You might be Jonah here just a minute. All right. Anybody else got one? All right, what's something you spent a ticket on that you don't regret to this day? Anybody got one like this was awesome? Yes. Oh, we went to spend money and we're super cheap. So the fact that we spend money on a ticket in Las Vegas, it was one of those certain Circuit Slow, yeah. It was off, and you would see things that your brain was telling you, you they can't be doing That's a great ticket to buy. Anybody else? Mine, first Garth Brooks concert. I, that was like the first time I ever felt like I saw a legitimate for real concert. I would go again today. Like that concert was absolutely amazing. And any Chiefs games, even when they lose, I'd still buy the ticket. Anybody else got one? You want to share? Yeah. I went to the very first time Queen ever played in the United States in Santa Monica, 76. Whoa. Never forget. We have a winner. We got a winner right there. All right. So. This guy, cold? Oh, okay. Um, here we go. We're going to be living in, in a bit of this ticket conversation as we move through the life of Jonah. It's kind of where we live today, or live tonight. But let's start by just setting up this book just a little bit. Uh, Jonah is a prophet from God. Uh, he's one of the earlier prophets you're going to find in a whole series of prophets that, that fly through. Okay? Wrote about the 8th century. We don't know who writes the book of Jonah. Very well could have been Jonah. Uh, There's just nothing in the actual book that identifies it. If you get your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to it, kind of settle into it. Uh, Like I said earlier, it's it's a very playful book. There's a lot of debate theologically on, is this book, you know, a book of history and it all actually happened? Is it a book of allegory, talking about, or or metaphor, or parable, talking about all the things that that happened, you know, within the, the, you know, within Israel and all that kind of, there's there's debate among commentators and all that. I'm going to tell you where I land 
I'm going to land it as a historical book. And here's why. Because Jesus references it as an example of himself when he says, just like the, you know, the, the, you know, the prophet Jonah spent you know, three days in the belly of oil, Luke 11. He says, so the son of man will be raised. And, and I'm just thinking, man, with something that special, that important to him, I, I don't think he's going to go there when he's talking about his resurrection. There's other things, like it talks about very specific cities, uh, the shipping route that he was on. Uh, some of the things that were happening within the time frame this book would have been written would line up with history. Uh, and, and so that's going to be my stance on it. I, I see it as a historical book. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to have a knockdown drag out fight, fight over this. Uh, it's just it, there are too many great things we're getting into this book. But from my standpoint where I sit, I see it as a historical book. And so I'm going to approach it from that standpoint. I'm going to teach it from that standpoint. It's a fantastic book. Uh, it, it's a bizarre book uh, because Jonah is the only prophet in the entire Old Testament that ever gets sent to a foreign group of people. He's the only one. Uh, and he gets sent to this group of people called the Ninevites. Uh, anybody want to take a guess where Nineveh was? What modern day country that is? Huh? Uh, it'd be on the list of probably top four countries you would want to go to today. Let's, let's list them off. Your top four countries that because of all kinds of political issues, you'd be like, I probably don't want to go there today. What would they be? Syria. Syria would be one, yeah. Probably not many of us want to go to Syria today. Anybody else? Yes. Iraq? Okay, you've just found it. So uh, this is in modern day Iraq is where this is all taking place. And so what you've got is Jonah is living in kind of this Jerusalem area, and he's a prophet. And you'll see Jonah, you know, he pops up in, in the book of First, Second Kings, my bad. He pops up in Second Kings, and he's a prophet to, you know, to, to you know, the house of Israel. Uh, this is right after Elisha has died. It's kind of the time frame that he's kind of coming on the, the surface. So you've got Elijah and Elisha. You know, you get a whole group of prophets that, that kind of pop up at that point in time. Jonah is one of these guys. And we're going to kind of dig into his book. The whole theme of this book, you could really wrap up this entire book in the last two verses. They're the two most important verses in all of Jonah. And, and I think you've got to read the whole book through the lens of the last two verses. So let's do this. Let's flip all the way to the end. Let's pick up there. And then we'll kind of come back and work our way, to, work our way there. So in Jonah chapter 4, we're going to look at 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you've been concerned. Concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people uh, who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be, again that word, concerned about that great city? The theme of this book, and listen, there's going to be some things where you're going to hear God coming down and really speaking directly to, to Jonah, speaking directly about the Ninevites and their wickedness, and all this stuff. That key word there is compassion. That there are different books in the Bible and prophets that will talk about God's holiness or his righteousness. But Jonah's here to talk about God's compassion. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop right there. Pay close attention. I'm really, really good at stepping on toes. Don't take it personally. Just listen and, and engage. It's okay. We're adults here. Can we disagree? Is that all right without getting in a fight? We can disagree, can't we? Do you ever disagree with other people on TV? Yeah. You ever disagree with people that get up and speak in front of... I'm okay if you disagree with me right now. It's all right. I think this is probably one of the most appropriate books for our culture that we could study right now. I really do. I think it's critical. Because listen, Jonah is living in a place where he has got... And listen, I'm going to push the buttons. Just buckle up. Put on big boy pants. We're all going to be okay. He's living in a country where he's so wrapped up in national identity that he wants to say, forget all those people over there. Now, if that isn't an issue that we deal with culturally in our nation today, you know, even if you're like, well, I don't deal with that, but I'm talking about culturally. We deal with that. There's a divide in our country about those people and these people, them versus us. There's a tension that we've got. There's a tension we have. Whether that tension gets drawn along immigration, whether that tension gets drawn along racial lines, whether it gets drawn along social economic boundaries, whether it gets drawn along political boundaries, we live in a culture that's those people and us. And that is Jonah. That's a book. And he's the first and only prophet in all of the Old Testament that God will say, um, go to those people. And Jonah's like, I ain't going to those people. We all have those people in our lives. We all do. Everybody in the room's got them. Those people, man. For, for some, some of the people that I even work with, those people can even be people at Walmart that dress entirely different, different themselves, and they can just judge those people by how they dress. 
For some people, it's the, the lifestyle that they lead. For some people, it's like, man, I can't, and I'm not talking about where I work now, because I work at Christ and Youth, but it could be a racial divide, you know, where all of a sudden, man, I, I've got an issue with those people. You know, we watch what's played out, you know, you know, throughout our country in the last few weeks, and very, very quickly, you can watch this divide happen between these people and those people. We see it happening, you know, right now with our borders. These people and those people. You know, we see it happening when we look at countries like North Korea. You know, countries, you know, we'll, we'll talk about China. Whatever it is, pick your country. We live in a place where it's easy to pick our battles. Here's the tension that I face sometimes in my life. I'm going I'm to pick on myself right now. Maybe you don't deal with this. For me, sometimes it's really difficult in the world I live. I live in this pastoral ministry world, okay? Never thought I would, but I do now. I work for Christ in youth. Oversee a lot of our events and programs, all that kind of stuff. You know what gets difficult sometimes? is like, I've got this personal faith with Jesus, but every so often, my professional world that I live in with contracts and DOT, and it's like an $18 million budget and 85,000 students coming, and if you think that you can run events for 85,000 students and not have problems with venues, not have problems with trucking companies, not have problems with vendors, not have, I mean, Think about it. You're going to have problems. And I can tell you, for me, sometimes the professional side of me and honestly, this personal relationship with Jesus side of me, they, they, at times they can get in conflict with one another. And what gets messy sometimes in my life is like, I'm like, which, which one am I really listening to? And, and I can imagine that if that's hard for me in a ministry context, I bet it's even hard for some of you guys in the business world. But it's even harder for some of you guys in the education world. It's probably even harder for some of you guys in whatever culture it is, the medical culture, whatever you're in, law enforcement. I bet there are moments when your personal faith and how you approach Jesus can get really difficult sometimes when it plays out in difficult moments on your job. When you're asked to do something, and honestly, sometimes it's what Jesus asks us to do. And we're like, ah, (laughs) Jesus, wait a second. I got, I got this church dimension personal faith in you, but what you're asking me to do over here, like, I, I, I can't do that here. You don't understand. Like, I, that, that's not allowed, or I probably shouldn't, or that's difficult. Those are hard conversations to have. And Jonah's going to be one of those people that he's a prophet. That's his, that's his profession. He's prophet. And he's about to come into a radical, difficult place where God calls him to do something that is against his national identity. It's against his deepest desires because Jonah hates those people. And we'll talk about why. He's even got some valid reasons why he hates them. They're valid. You know, and sometimes when we look at people that become our those people, sometimes we have valid reasons why we don't really care, why we don't really like them. We got burned by, by somebody that was like those people. Or, you know, we've got a relative that got burned by those people, whatever it is. I'm just saying, whether it's social, economic, race, I, don't, I can't pick enough boundaries in this room to describe everything. You get that. But we all have those people. What do we do when we're struggling to deal with those people? Jonah's going to help us with that. And he's going to help us reconcile who we are spiritually with this whole other dimension over here that we deal with. I can be honest. In my own life at times, I watch the nightly news, and I've got opinions on what I think we should do. And sometimes my opinions don't always reconcile with gospel. Anybody ever dealt with that? Like, you're just like, oh, I should not think that way, man. Shouldn't feel that way right now. And you're, you're convicted by it, by the Holy Spirit. Like, you're like, man, I know I shouldn't. But all of a sudden, we start, if I was in charge, man, I'd do this, this, and this, and this. And you hear the words come out of your mouth, or you hear them go through your head, and you're like, I don't think Jesus would do any of those things. I don't think he would do any of those things. Like, how do we reconcile this world we live in with our own minds? How do we recognize what we watch on MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or ABC, whatever it is, because we watch the nightly news and we've all got an opinion on how we would deal with these issues. And the issue comes down just like Jonah, what do we do when what we want to do doesn't reconcile what God's asking us to do? Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Buckle up, hold on, let's step on some toes, we'll still dance, it'll be all right. Let's get in to Jonah. Um, We're going to start off. Chapter 1, verse 1. And the other thing I want to tell you is that I've got a spiritual gift of going on tangents. Uh, Not even going to try to apologize for it. Uh, I do. Uh, Good night. It does not take me long. And I chase rabbit trails all over the place. And you'll be like, man, he is never going to get through this book. We always do. Okay? Tonight we're going to get through four verses. And you're like, it's a six-week class. That dude covered four verses. We're dead. No, because there's one week where I'm not teaching, and that person's going to cover three chapters, so we're fine. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
So anyway, let's, let's kind of start walking through this just a little bit. It starts off with this. It says, the word of the Lord... Let's just stop right now. If you were uh, reading the Hebrew, it would start off with the word and or the word now is the way we read it. It wouldn't just start off the word of the Lord. Do any of your Bible, any of your translations have the word and or now to start with? Yours does? Anybody else? How do, read the first few verses of yours. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Hamadon. Okay. Anybody else got that? You may have and as their beginning. Who else got now? It's an important clarifier that the NIV misses. I think it's important. If, if I was having a conversation with somebody and I walked up and I said, now, and I finished it, or I said the word and, and then I talked, what would it imply? Just, huh? Yeah, somebody said it out loud. It's perfect. Say it. Yeah, there's a previous conversation taking place. Keep in mind, the part of the reason why I think this is an historical book is because it's referenced in Second, in Second Kings. Jonah was an actual prophet during this point in time. All right, And I think what you're picking up right now is Jonah's going about his prophet, little prophet world. When it starts off, and I have some of our Bibles, mine starts off with the word thee, but it's not, listen, I think most of us in this room know that, that Jesus, you know, Moses didn't come down, you know, the tablets typed out in King James Version. I think we all know that, okay? Bible's written primarily in Hebrew, and then the New Testament, Aramaic, and Greek. And so in this moment, what you've got fleshing out in the Hebrew is the word and. This is a conversation already in progress. We're picking up on something. And all of a sudden, we're joining this prophet in the middle of, not necessarily in the middle, we're joining this prophet at a point in his life where he's already been doing good work. Um, so it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So what I would look at is I'd first of all say, there's something about Jonah that God saw that said, I can use this guy. I can use him. We see in Jonah's life, you know, if you go through and study the text, if you look at 2 Kings 14.25 is a time where it references him. There must have been something about Jonah that God says, I can use this man. I can use him. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it only shows up like between 100 and 120 times in all the Old Testament. That's not a lot for like several thousand years of history, okay? That's not a lot. This is a big deal when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's a big old deal, man. And all of a sudden, you can imagine your life if all of a sudden, you know, you're up brushing your teeth in the morning and God says, I'd like to talk to you. You're like, okay, let's talk. You know, you'd probably not go to work that day. You'd probably call in sick, whatever you had to do to say, let's have a conversation. You know, if you're out mowing your yard and then God says, can we talk a minute? So Jonah hears him and he listens. Let's watch how this plays out a little bit more. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh truly was a great city. That's a great description of it. Uh, I was trying to find the stats on it that I had written down. Um, it, was, it was located on the Tigris River. It had walls that were 100 feet high. Okay, so take, take just a second. Richard, you imagine laying rock, bricks, 100 feet high? Be a bit of a work, wouldn't it? 100 feet high, 50 feet thick. Okay, these things were thick enough that what they could do in the city is run three chariots side by side, heading right down it. Okay, this, was, this city was impressive. In fact, it says that, that if you looked at the city, it had 15 gates on it. Um, and there were, and uh, there was almost seven and a half miles of walls. So think about just the manpower it takes to build walls 100 feet high, 50 feet thick, for seven and a half miles. That's a long way. What's seven and a half miles from here, ballpark? What do you, what do you think of? Somebody would have guessed. Seven and a half miles from here, what is it? Home? <laughs> Something we all would know, reference point. How far away is Abby? Far, Walmart's far, is Walmart seven and a half miles from here in Webb City? Is that not that far? Is that where you live? So pretty close? All right. We'll ballpark it. We'll say Atwoods, okay? We'll live with Atwoods. So you can imagine a wall encircling a city that long. I don't have far seven miles, and I'm winging it right now. They would say that the town itself, when, when it mentions at the end of it, tells you how many people are in there. If you were to look at the, the people who would swell in and out of this town every day, probably about 600,000 people would come in and out, in and out. So you're looking, honestly, population swell. What's, that's about like Tulsa, Oklahoma, probably, 600,000 ballpark, I would guess. Isn't that Tulsa? Like Tulsa. Somebody look it up on your phone. Population of Tulsa. Let me know, because I'm not just making everything up tonight. I honestly don't know. So you're looking at the city of Tulsa as kind of the population that comes in and out. Now, again, the, I'm talking Tulsa Metro. So you probably get the people that live in this city, and they are a force to be reckoned with. Israelites, everyone's terrified of them. Now, there's a point in time that we think in the history here where they actually may, may have been a little bit weaker, and that's part of why they're going to hear Jonah's response. But honestly, 
they could have wiped Israel off the face of the map at any point in time. Any point in time. I mean, these guys are a force to be reckoned with. Chariots upon chariots, powerhouse of a military, literally have just oppressed and been harsh on Israel for years, for generations. This is Babylon. We know if you know if you've grown up in church at all, you know the stories of Babylon. You know who these people are. They are a wretched people who've oppressed God's people, and Jonah has lived underneath that boot on their neck, just waiting for it to push down. He's literally lived with a foot of Nineveh just looking at them. Nineveh is about 550 miles north. Okay, well, it's up. It's away from, from Jerusalem right now. Okay, so about 550 miles away. I'm not going to even ask you what's 550 miles from here. I'm guessing Chicago, but I don't know that either. Hey, what's Tulsa? Let me to look. 400,000. So we'll call in the metro area 600,000. Again, making that up. Um, so here's what you find. Let's keep going. Um, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Hmm. There's two movements in this book. Two movements that we're going to find. One, he'll start out being disobedient. Two, is he will become obedient. And he's wrong both times. Jonah never gets it right. Here's why I love this guy. I get tired of spiritual people who have it all together. I don't have it all together. I don't, man. There's things I've got I wish I did differently as a dad. Holy smokes, I wish I could figure that out. I'm winging it on most days. Okay? There are things I realize as a husband I need to do different. There are things I realize in the way I handle things as, as an employee or as an employer, both. Good night. I look at it and go, man, I need, I need to do things different. And sometimes I look, I live in a world where people always have their act together and I don't know what to do with those people. And have you ever felt like if, if anybody could ever see, you ever live with what I call imposter syndrome? Where you almost feel like you're forced to live as if you've got it all figured out all the time. You know what I mean? And you know deep down in your own heart that you're just a little bit of an imposter. Come on, you know that. You're like, if people really knew how much I don't have it all together, they would not know what to think right now. Seriously, if they really knew, like, some of the thoughts I've got, some of the issues I've got, some of the struggles I've got, some of the temptations I've got, some of the anger, frustration, whatever it is, pick your poison. If somebody really knew you, you'd be like, they probably wouldn't even like me. And so you're like, no, everyone would love me. We're here to talk to you this week. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But honestly, man, what I love about Jonah is he's a guy who's not got his act together. And God still uses him. He's a guy who lives in willful disobedience. And God will still use him. He's a guy who literally does the exact opposite of everything that God tells him to, to do. And God will still use him. And I don't know, man, if there's hope for Jonah, and Jesus will even reference him, there might just be hope for me. And maybe some hope for you as well. It's a beautiful book, folks. It's a beautiful book. What I, I love Daniel, but Daniel's got his act together. I love it. Man, I do. I love Joseph. Joseph has got his act together. I kind of dig sometimes guys like David and guys like Jonah that just screw up left and right. That just don't do the right thing. And so if that's you, welcome to Jonah. You're going to love this book. Let's keep moving. So some other things we're going to see in this book... <clears throat> I want you to highlight. Now, I mentioned it for, I, started, I got into it a little too quick there. One thing you're going to see in this is that God needs messengers. It's a crazy thing. Um, you realize, like, as sometimes I look at God and I want to have an honest conversation with Him, like, like, you knew what you were doing, right? Like, He entrusted this entire message of His gospel to us. Come on, man. You know us. <clears throat> I'm like, Lord, you, you probably needed a better plan than that. I mean, like his whole process of leading people to Jesus is through, through mankind. And we are a broken vessel. We're a group of people who screw up on a regular basis. And I'm like, Lord, you should have given this off to the angels or something like that. Or maybe like you should have just kept bringing these prophets in all the time. But he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it through my church. Like, well, Lord, you know your church. Like, it's full of people that sin. It's full of people that are moral. It's full, full of people who screw up, full of lighters and cheaters and thieves and everything else. Like, yeah, I know that. And I'm going to bring redemption through the church. It's a beautiful thing. When you look at the ultimate plan that God has, his whole plan for bringing redemption, you are plan A, plan B, plan C. There is no backup to you. You're it, baby. You're it. 
There's no Calvary coming in to save the day. He, he's not bringing in some force from heaven that's somehow going to go through and preach. Nope. Holy Spirit in you is his plan. That's as good as it gets. That's all it is. That's the plan. That's it. Jesus ascended to heaven, left it in our court. In some ways, I look at Jonah, and I'm like, dude, this one guy has got to go to a city of 600,000 people with walls 100 feet high, 50 feet thick, seven and a half miles around. He's got to go into this war-thirsty, blood-thirsty nation that absolutely hates his people. I mean, the last thing that the cocky Ninevites want to hear from is some little Jewish boy. I mean, they don't care about him. Like, who's this punk showing up in our town? We're Nineveh for crying out loud. Who's this little weasel? I think Jonah's like... I don't know what to, I don't even know where to start. I mean, where do you start? How do you begin preaching in a city that doesn't want you there? And I look at this beautiful thing that God still puts us in those same places. In a culture that doesn't want to hear it. In a city. In a state. In a nation that can be resistant. We are his plan A, B, and C. We are the plan. The church. You and me. But the beautiful thing about that that we can't forget is that when we look at God's dealing with Jonah, is it because he needs messengers? He's persistent and patient with us when we screw up. Remember that. Because some of you are like, oh man, I'm not worthy. I'm about to tell you, probably most of what you've done is not going to be as flat out in God's face as what Jonah's about to do. And one thing you see from God is that he says, man, I can work with you. I know you're not perfect. I know you've done wrong. I know you've done evil. I know you've ignored what I've told you to do. I know you've fought me on it. All kinds of things. And what God will tell you in all the story of Jonah is, I can use you. I can work with that. I can redeem the story. I can, I, can, I can put you where you need to be. Let's keep going. All right. Uh, some, uh, the third thing I want to I point out. And I'm going to read this. It was a quote that I found. And it's powerful. So listen close. Um, again, th- this is a, a story of evangelism. It's the first time that God will show his compassion for the nations. Now, you've got to keep in mind, we are those people. We are the Gentiles in this room. That's who we are. This is one of the first times that, that God's really going to send his prophet to the nations. And I love this quote. It says, The church's failure in evangelism and missions is not due primarily to our failure to know God and his compassion. We know him. We've even experienced his compassion in our own lives. Our failure is due mainly is due mainly to our dislike for those under God's judgment. Our Ninevites. Perhaps we need to admit that we don't really want to see all the world saved. When I read that, I literally had to step back and go, Ooh, wow, do I feel that way? Is there any part of me? And sometimes I wonder, is there any... Is there any people group that in a dangerous way you might say, I don't even want to articulate it, even the the intellectual scent of thinking it might be, that in some ways you're like, God, have your way with those people. Wipe them off the face of the freaking planet. Take them out, God. And I can tell you that there have been times in my life I felt that about people connected to Islam felt that way at times when I've seen things that have happened. I hate that about myself. It's a point of confession here. I'm asking you to be honest. How about if I get real real quick? There are times I see that and I'm like, God, just take him out, man. I'm like, ooh, man. I want you to understand that anything that you're reckoning with in terms of maybe a group or a race or whatever it is that you might deal with, this is the book for you and the book for me. It's a book for us to come to the point we realize that God's grace and his compassion is for everyone. For everyone. Not just for the people in this room that look kind of like us or the same economic strata as us or have kind of the same core values as the people that live in this area. No, everyone. In every place. He says that he wants to reach all tribes, all people, all nations. In Acts 1.8, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 says, go into all nations, preach the gospel. I think one thing we're going to get from this book is in those moments that we struggle with our own identity of who God loves and who he doesn't, again, 
Jonah's going to make us wrestle through that. So hopefully you'll stick with us. Hopefully you'll journey this book. It's just six weeks, man. But I think it's going to be six weeks of having us come to terms with things. Had a conversation. I know this person is going to listen to this podcast, so I'll be respectful. They're not in this room. Uh, but this person was, and I, I loved it. We were having a conversation about, about immigration. And the whole conversation was phrased in, you know, what are your thoughts on those people coming to our country? And I was like, here we go. I always love when a conversation starts that way. Because I, I feel like at that moment, I got nowhere I can go. It's like, I'm a checkmate. It's like, okay, well, I know you've, you've established your ground. And unless I agree with you, we're going to fight. Okay, so we've made that abundantly clear here. And, and my conversation with this individual said, man, I, I don't, I don't ever think that doing things illegal is a healthy, healthy thing. Um, but, but let's deal with the systemic issues. And, and let's, let's deal with these people as if they're humans and not your adversaries. And let's take a deep breath right now. And the question that I asked this individual, I said, you know, it's hard to get an American right now to sell everything they've got and to go around the world. I mean, back in the 50s, we saw people left and right abandoning their, their businesses abandoning what they owned. And man, you had missionaries flooding the field. I don't know if you guys have paid attention in terms of global missions. But we have a huge problem that taking place. All the older missionaries are retiring. They're retiring in droves right now. They're coming off the field. All those baby boomers, all that, all that greatest generation, all the traditionalists that went in all the world, they preach the gospel, they're all retiring. You know what we have right now? A deficit. Mass, massive deficit of young men and women who are willing to go to the unmost reached corners of the world, you know, and spread the gospel. It's difficult to find them. And so I had this conversation. I said, man, here's my question. I just want us to wrestle with, and I'll mention this a few times. What if in God has great sovereignty said, if you won't go to them, I'll bring them to you? What if God in his great sovereignty said, if you can't go there, that's okay. I'll convince them to come to you. And I'll place them in your neighborhoods. It'll be so much easier for you. I'll put them in your communities. I'll put them at your jobs. I'll put them all around you. So that way now you don't have to get on a plane and pack up all your belongings and move to that country. I'm going to drop them right in your backyard. And won't it be so much easier for the church? I think God sometimes in his sovereignty is like, why are they complaining about? I don't, I don't understand. They're mad about all of this. Like, I, I, I literally I laid them at your, at your doorstep. So I want to give us a deep challenge as we think about what it means to be a global church. To reach out to people who are different than us. All right, here we go. Jonah, verse three, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Tarshish is up by the Straits of Gibraltar. It's on the very edge of Spain. Probably, like I said earlier, 2,500 miles. 2,500 miles away. This is where Solomon, if you read when he builds the temple and he brings in all the gold and he sends all of his ships, this is where they go. They go to Tarshish to load up the peacocks and all the wild, crazy life. that He, he brings in all this wildlife into Jerusalem, introduces all these cedars and all kinds of crazy things. He has ships that go as far away as Tarshish to gather all this gold. Tarshish was an exotic place, man. Tarshish was like, wow! I mean, I, I don't even know today we live in such a small world because of the way we're so connected. It's hard to think of someplace that's like that exotic anymore. You know, it's, it's, in some ways, I kind of grieve that, that the world isn't nearly as exotic as it used to be. You know, it used to be like when people went here, it's like, oh, you've been there. It's not like, oh, yeah, I, I know you and not 12 other people in there. You know, but in this moment, for him to say Tarshish, it literally would have felt like he was going to the other side of the world. I mean, it was like, it, to the known world for, for Jonah, that's as far away as he could have possibly gone. And honestly, it would have been exotic, man. I mean, if he's a prophet saying, well, you know, guys, I feel called to go to Tarshish. Whoa, you go to Tarshish? Like, that's a long way from home, Jonah. I mean, he, he could have almost been esteemed in this moment for saying, I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to prophet here in Jerusalem. I feel called. I'm going to go tell the people in Tarshish about God. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. It's just fascinating. He runs in the exact opposite direction. He does literally a 180. Get your Bible, somebody at your table, read 1 Kings 10.22. Somebody look that up and read that out loud real quick. 1 Kings 10.22. When you got it, just somebody at your table, read it out loud if you don't mind. And just do this at each table. We'll do this a lot. 1022. I think that's the right one. 1 Kings 1022. Let's go ahead and read at your tables. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, just read at your table. Everyone do it. 
So, let's come back. Again, Tarshish is perceived as the exotic. In Jonah's mind, he probably couldn't think of any place else. And I'm sure at some level, it's like, man, I've tried this, this Jerusalem thing, not having the success I wanted. It's interesting what escapism does to us in our life. I'm going to shift gears right now. Sometimes the illusion is dangerous. You ever toyed with the illusion in your own life? Try to justify behavior by what you think it's going to do and what it's going to be like. And I've done that in ways that are silly, like cars. (laughs) Man, if I got that car, I'd be so much happier. And then my wife calls me to tell me she either rear-ended a van or my boys pull back, back out and rub, it, you know, rub that car up against a tree, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, the illusion disappears quickly, doesn't it? You ever had that car that you have, I just had hit, and all of a sudden, when you drive it off the lot, it's absolutely amazing. And then within a week or two, somebody spills a Coke in it or your kids crunch up chips on the floor, whatever it is, or somebody door dings it. And then all of a sudden, the illusion just starts to like, this isn't, isn't quite what I wanted. Illusions are dangerous, dangerous, dangerous things. And I think sometimes one of the most important things we can do in our spiritual life is have the discipline to destroy illusions. Habits in marriages. Man, I've been with this person. We used to have so much in common. We don't have as much in common anymore. But if I could be with that person, I bet we'd have a lot in common. I bet if I could be with that person, we would laugh a lot more. I bet if if that person, I wouldn't have the money problems I've got right now if I was with them. I bet if I was with that person, we'd have a lot more common, and the coffee would taste better, the rose would smell sweeter. I mean, all the things we do, it's just an illusion. And all of a sudden, we watch when that illusion begins to crash. It gets difficult. Sometimes that illusion comes in houses. That all of a sudden, we're like, man, if I just had a little bit bigger house, and I had this, and I had that, and I had this, and blah, 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 we start creating this illusion until all of a sudden... That debt becomes a noose, or man, just good night, taking care of it becomes a noose. And all of a sudden, the illusion of what we thought it was going to be, it just doesn't ever feel quite that way. You ever danced with illusion? Pornography's an illusion. Debt's an illusion. Car's an illusion. Sometimes we, we chase this illusion of, if I could just be friends with those people, I think we'd really connect with them. It just We've been doing this kind of garbage since we were high school kids, for crying out loud. Chasing this world of illusions, never quite being satisfied with what's actually right in front of us. Jonah's about to do that. The illusion for him is Tarshish. If I could just get to Tarshish, everything would be okay. If I could just get to Tarshish, man, it's exotic, it's new, it's awesome. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people, I mean, I'm looking at at Jonah. In this moment, he's called to be in Jerusalem, and God's going to send him to Nineveh. And I don't, my personal opinion is, I don't even think it's going to be a long-term commitment to Nineveh. It's not sustainable. They kill him, for crying out loud. But he's going to send him to Nineveh and probably bring him all the way back to Jerusalem at some point. But sometimes in our lives, chasing that illusion is so dangerous. We do it in jobs. I've done all I can do here, you know. I'm kind of getting sick of this place. And we get the illusion. And we start wondering, if I had that job or this job, or if I worked there or worked here, everything would be better. That's Jonah's beginning of his downfall. Living in the world of illusion. Have you ever lived there? Anybody? You don't have to confess it. I'm just saying, you ever been there? And I've been there. Good night. I bought the ticket, for crying out loud. Bought the illusion that if I, if I just bought this travel trailer, we will spend more time together as a family. <laughs> Baloney. Baloney. Did not happen. I traveled all summer. Spent $17,000 on that piece of junk. And I never even used it. I'm like, why, why do I think that, that if I can just get the right stuff, or get to the right place, or if I can just have this, or that, or this, if I can add this to my... Part of what I think we need to do in our spiritual lives is get to this point that we become disciplined at destroying illusions. Calling them out for what they are. That's fake. That's an illusion. That ain't real. I could have all that, and two years I'd be sick of it, or one year I'd be sick of it, or I'd probably tear it up if I had it for crying out loud. You know, just being honest. Or you know what? I can chase that job, but I'm probably going to be as disgruntled and frustrated in a year as I am here. Why am I leaving? Why am I doing this? Why am I pursuing this? And if Jonah could have just sat down and dealt with his heart, 
Why am I running from God? It's interesting, they use the word presence of God. The word presence means the face of. It says he was running from the, the, the presence of God. Now, we can bring that up in a couple of different ways. That face of God, we're like, usually as a face, is kind of like, it's a good thing. You know, we read people. You know, from the very beginning, you know, you, you got your little babies, you look at them and you coo and awe, and one of the first things they recognize is your face. There's this beautiful intimacy. But sometimes that face, that familiarity, can also breed contentment, as Mark Twain says. And I wonder if in this moment, it's almost like, like Adam and Eve walking in a garden where they become so familiar with God that then they just kind of think like, we could be like him. Like he's just one of us. And so they start recreating, trying to recreate God in their own image until they actually become their own God, in a sense. I mean, I can tell you what, this happens to preachers all the time. Preachers are the worst at this. Hope Mark's not listening. They really are. At some point in time, we speak so much prose from the Bible, we say the words of God so much, that we actually start to wonder if our voice begins to sound like His. Whew, that's a dangerous thing. It's a terrifying thing. That you actually start to believe your own gospel. <coughs> terrifying. And what you find in Jonah right now is that he's like, Ah, I know what God said. I got this. I got this. Moving on. Says Jonah ran for the Lord. He went to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. <coughs> a few things in there. That little trip to Joppa, about thirty-five miles. So he walks thirty-five miles to buy a ticket to get out of town. Thirty-five miles to buy a ticket to get out of town. Thirty-five miles to buy a ticket to fulfill his escapism. 35 miles to buy a ticket to, to reach out to his illusion. 40, 35 miles, he was saying 45, 35 miles to, to somehow embrace his desire to just get out of here. I wonder, I wonder if the ticket agent had any idea what was going on when he sold that ticket that day. I wonder if he had any idea. I mean, you asked a question earlier, if you ever bought a ticket you never should have bought, this is Jonah's ticket. He walks down, forks over the money, walks 35 miles, steps up. you got to see the moment. He steps up to the podium, and the words come out of his mouth. I'd like to buy a ticket to Tarshish. What, what's the intellectual ascent that leads a man or a woman to that moment? Listen, we can spiritualize this and live in the life of Jonah, but, but I want to pull it over into our world today. Have you ever bought a ticket you never should have bought? You ever done that? You ever bought a ticket you never should have bought? You kept walking the whole way you were getting closer. You're like, I should not be going here. I should not be doing this. Should not be thinking this. I mean, I, I, I am not. I'm going to go down there. I'm just going to check on the price of tickets, but I'm not actually going to get one. Okay? Just kind of just gonna price check it. Going to see if the boats are nice. Nice boats. How much are those tickets again? Like, man, I've got, I don't know if i got enough or not. You start pulling out your wallet, you're looking through it. I mean, it's a crazy thing we get ourselves when God all along is trying to pull you back into his presence. All along he's saying, come on, come on, don't, 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 don't do this. I've got a plan for you. I've got something I want you to do. And the whole point, we are so dead set against embracing his plan in our lives that we find ourselves standing with a ticket agent, travel agent in Joppa, about to buy a ticket that takes us somewhere that is nothing but problems. Nothing but trouble. You ever bought a ticket you never should have bought? Man, world is riddled with employers and marriages and friendships. The world is riddled with relationships that are crippled when people buy tickets for trips they never should have taken. The question I would ask tonight is, as you struggle with that on your wrist right now, Either what ticket have you bought that you look back on and go, I need to admit I bought a ticket here. And I need to deal with that. Or what travel agent, metaphorically speaking, is constantly telling you, life's better in Joppa. I mean, sorry, life's better in Tarshish. What travel agent continues to whisper in your ear that, you know what, if you just bought a ticket here, everything would be better. If you just bought a ticket to this place, I know what God's saying. He wants you to go to Nineveh. But I'm telling you, man, if you just bought a ticket here... If you just spent your money this way, if you just invested in these relationships, if you just gave up on this and embraced this, like, it would be a whole lot better. And the whole way God said, don't buy that ticket. 
Don't buy that ticket. It's an illusion. In his great mercy, watch what God does. He says, and then he sent a great wind on the sea. The word great wind would be Hurricane Harvey, okay? Uh, This is a massive, massive, massive storm. A massive storm. And he says, and a violent storm arose, and the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors, these are grown men that are professional sailors. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. We're going to pause there. We're not going to go any further in this chapter tonight, but I want to play a bit of a game here. At your tables, there's a little a card. I want you to make a list of everyone you could possibly think of that's affected by Jonah's sin. Let's talk about first what Jonah's sin is. You have the obvious sin of his disobedience to God. Okay? So sometimes in our life, I'm going I'm to generalize this in really unhealthy ways. Uh, usually there are the sins of the flesh that are really obvious. You know, when somebody is a thief or a murderer or there's adultery, whatever it is. That's all, that's obvious. But there's also this whole other category of sins. or sins of the spirit. And we like to dismiss those as if they're not quite as bad. But they, they really are even sometimes more destructive. And that's pride and jealousy and anger. When you look at this, we can, we can automatically see Jonah's sin like, Jonah disobeyed God. He sinned. But there's another category here. where I think for Jonah, his nationalistic pride is so dangerous and toxic that he'll allow his hatred for another person to literally drive him to a destructive place. But it's not just Jonah that's affected. I want you to write down as quickly as you can over the next two minutes or less as many people as you can possibly think of that are impacted that night in the storm. Ready? Go. Work together at a table. Many as you can think of, and then we will compile this list. All right, let's pick back up. Let's go through... The ones that we can think of. Oh, we'll just we'll need to write them down. Let's just start calling out. I'll, we'll make, I get the two easy ones. Jonah, the sailors. Who else is impacted by Jonah's sin? Huh? God is impacted by Jonah's sin. Who else? Okay, the cargo owners. So someone has a business, and they have entrusted this stuff to a shipping company, so you've got the cargo owners, or now they're impacted because are they going to receive payment if the cargo never gets delivered? Who else? The people that were going to receive yeah, you've got businesses waiting to receive that cargo or people waiting to receive that so they can sell that cargo. Or maybe that cargo is necessary for something going on within that city. So yeah, whoever's receiving the cargo is impacted. Who else? Sailors' families. Sailors families, yeah. They're all going to be impacted by, by, by Jonah in his sin. Who else? Huh? Yeah, the owner of the ship. Okay? Maybe he bought somebody else's ticket that was good. Yeah. Yeah, somebody else didn't get on it. Yeah. Anybody else you can think of? Huh? Israel's going to be impacted by this. If there are other boats. Yeah. Think about all the other boats in the ocean that night or in the sea. There could have been 100, 200, 300 other boats. Then you got all their families. Then you got all their cargo. I mean, this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Anybody else got one you can think of? It's a fish. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I love that one. Anybody else? You can think of one we didn't think of? Ninevites can be impacted. Here's one thing we recognize. Is that, man, when we embrace a sin in our life, or uh, I want to be careful here because this one hits really close to, uh, to home in my, my own family. Uh, and I don't know how old my, my youngest son will be when he, if he ever listens to this podcast. I, I live that with my youngest son we adopted. Uh, you know, his, um, I take a complicated reason why his dad passed away. Uh, but we raise him in our home. And the trickle-down effect of everyone that impacts is gargantuan. That when sin grips your life, you know, and you see death and destruction come about, man, and it doesn't have to be death. It doesn't always result in death. Man, there's no doubt you know, there's no doubt that someone else's sin that you know of has probably impacted your life. The way they've lived, what they've done, whether they cheated and stole from your business, whether it was a fair, whatever it is, I can't, I can't call it enough illustrations, 
But have you ever been touched by somebody else's mistake and you've had to live with it? Ever dealt with that? Well, you're just, you're stuck in it, man. This is what's going on in Jonah's life. And it's not like God enticed him and I got, it's not like Satan enticed to do something that's, that's like some big, dark, destructive thing. You know, like he murdered and dealt drugs to little children. He didn't do that, okay? He didn't do that. But what did Satan entice him to do? To not do a good thing. To not do the right thing. So keep in mind that. I think sometimes we get this image that, that Satan is always out to make us do the worst possible thing. I, I think what he does in, in Jonah's life in this thing is not, not necessarily that he just made him do the worst thing. He just enticed him to not do the right thing. To not do the necessary thing. So I ask this question. In those moments, we're dealing with Jonah here, where he's called in the spirit of evangelism, He's going to transform the Ninevites. What are the potential implications if the Ninevites repent? Just think about it. War-hungry national, war-hungry nation. If they turn to God and repent, what are some of the implications? Peace? Huh? He won't destroy them? Israel gets the boot off their neck? I mean, just the winds out of this thing are massive. If Jonah, if Jonah can just see like Jonah, do you know what's going to happen in the story? And he does at this point in time. We've read the book, so we know. But I think the same thing for us. If we have these opportunities with, the, with our others, and they were to truly repent, and you could lead whoever your others are to a redemptive place with Jesus, what would be the gospel? What would be the, what would be the implications? If we could look at some of the countries that we don't like and through prayer and love and compassion, lead them to the throne of Jesus, what would be the impact on our world? In our country, if we could be a people who love those who are greatly different and show the love of Christ in that relationship, what would be the result in terms of of that community where they live? I say it's not only just about our sin, it's also about the opportunity. It's not just about all the dark things that Jonah caused. It's about Jonah. Don't you see what God could do? And I think about this. Here's the deal. I, every day I want to drive by, and I don't ever do it, but when I cut through Ornogo, when I'm headed into Web City, I always want to stop off at that little Baptist church. Always want to stop there. Can't, I have not done it yet. I've got to pull over someday and ask who the preacher is there because I don't, honestly don't know. But I can tell you this. Early on, we were the family that you told your kids they couldn't go hang out with. That's who we were. For some of you, growing up, I would have been the other to your family. That's who I was. I mean, my house was the house that held the keg parties. That's what my house was. My house was the house where, you know, if you wanted to come spend the night with me when I was a little bitty and you wanted to look at porn, I had access to it. My house was the house where there's always alcohol, always party, and it wasn't abusive. I, had a, I loved my parents. It was great. I loved them. But, before Jesus, okay, B.C. in my home, it, it was not a place you wanted your children to go hang out. So as you think about your others and like, as we as parents think, well, I don't want my kids going over there. I was that. I would have been that. Probably the place you would have told your kids, don't go hang out with the French. <laughs> they got a reputation, man. Those boys are wild. Those boys are, they cause trouble. They smoke a lot of pot. They drink a lot of alcohol. Like there's a lot going on. And I was little when this stuff was going on. But I always want to stop at that Baptist church. Because I was literally the kid that probably no parent would have wanted to have over to spend the night at their house and probably would have never wanted their kid to go spend the night at their house if parents actually knew what was going on. And again, my parents weren't abusive. They were wonderful. It was just a party place, man. But there's a little kid named Curtis. When I would have been everyone else's Nineveh, this one second or third grader, how old we were, One chubby little kid treated me like I wasn't the other. I got in trouble so much for fighting in school. We had this principal who went to church here named Mr. Weaver, knew me on a first-name basis because I was trouble, trouble. My, like, I've got a little first grade at my house. When I was in kindergarten, every day my job was to get on my my brother's handlebars. We lived in Joplin. We'd go in town, and I would steal cigarettes at all the stores for my brothers to smoke all day. I mean, it's just what I did. We stole everything we could possibly steal. That's just who we were. Everywhere we went, we stole. Okay? I was good at it. We stole a lot. But I was the other. 
I really was, man. I was Nineveh. I was my my brothers and I were the people that you didn't want your you didn't want to hang out with. We're just trouble, man. Just trouble. And I want to stop at that little church all the time and say, it's not me, it's Jesus and his redemptive work in my life. But I'm like, I get a chance to work in a ministry that will talk to 85,000 students this year about Jesus. Because all the way back, somebody said, that kid's not the other. And they invited me to their home. And I'd never seen prayer before. I didn't know what prayer was. And I showed up at this house and they sit down to eat and they hold hands. I'm like, what the heck are they doing? How are we going to eat this way? I'm like, what in the world? You can't eat holding hands. And I'm like, I'm looking all around at these people pray, and I'm like, what are they doing? It's like I had no idea who Jesus was. I had no clue what church was. Not a clue. I'm just looking around like, what in the world is going on here? And then after, they went outside and they played wiffle ball, and I thought that was pretty cool. And then his mom lived in, they lived in a, in a dumpy little house. And I think, I don't, I'm not trying to be condescending. It was a dumpy little house in, you know, in Orinoga. It wasn't nothing fancy, man. But they had chocolate chip cookies, and they were nice to each other, and they treated me with compassion and kindness. And then they asked me where to spend the night again. I'm like, nobody partied, no one was drunk. I didn't have to step over people to go watch cartoons in the morning. Sure, that works. So I, I went to church with them again. Same clothes. Try to work his clothes, but they don't fit. He's short and round. So I wore the same clothes. And they said, we're going to go to Sunday school. I was like, I don't want to go to school. Who wants to go? I just went to school. <laughs> like, nobody wants to go to school. And I went to the sea called Sunday school. And it was horrible. Horribly boring. These ladies that taught it should have never been teaching. They were, it was bad. And I went to the thing called Sunday school. And then we went into this thing called a church service. And this guy got up and he talked. His dad talked forever. And I was like, you're boring is all I could think. Like, get, this is, can we go play wiffle ball and eat cookies again? Like, this is horrible. And I just sat on this wooden pew in that little church in downtown Orinoco, listened to this guy. Drunk. I didn't know what a preacher was. I had no idea. But, but this family, even though I know I had to be cussing around their house, I know I had to. I had to be dropping every big bomb you can imagine, okay? Like, I just, it was my natural thing. It was like, pass a bleep and cereal. That's just how we spoke. It was like, I didn't, wouldn't have thought of it. And I had to be running around the yard cussing and carrying on and just being wild, out of control. I, I was Nineveh. And I just look at what Jesus can do when you love the other. What can Jesus do when you love the other? How many kids come in your home for you guys to have kids at home right now? Or they ask if somebody can come over and spend the night and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to mess with this tonight. Probably could have been someone like me. How many times do we run from the opportunities God puts in front of us? I mean, you have the opportunity that when you're working with somebody, and here they are, and the, and the gospel opportunities are there, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. And you buy this illusion, so you head to Tarshish. It's an exotic, nice place. You ignore this opportunity. And what you don't realize in that moment, you could change somebody's entire family tree in a conversation. You could transform a marriage in a conversation. You could transform generational issues in a conversation. In a moment and saying, I I don't know what to do right now, but I feel like God is leading me to have this conversation. So here we go. And you just stumble into it because you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you. In that moment, God does something in them that maybe you'll never see, but there's a quickening. And I would imagine in this room, some of you guys have had somebody who took that opportunity with you. And I wonder how often do we, on a daily basis... Turnbacks on Nineveh. It's easy when we look at it as a racial group or another country. It's easy if we look at it as this socioeconomic group we don't, we don't deal with or, or, or as this group that's coming in illegally. That's easy. Those are the easy spots. I mean, that's, those are easy punching points. I think sometimes it also gets down to brass tacks when it's also people that are Ninevites in our own communities. Like, did you hear about that family? Oh, man. Sure, they did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man, their kids are out of control. We should have them over. <laughs> they might just start working out a ministry reaching 85,000 kids. And I'm not trying to see my praises. Jesus rescued me from a pit of despair. And I wonder how often he's rescued you or is trying to rescue or try to use you to rescue someone else. Don't buy the freaking ticket. I shouldn't say that word. I always get in trouble. Don't buy the dumb ticket. Okay, I don't mean anything worse than what it is. Don't buy the dumb ticket. Don't go. 
Don't go to Tarshish. Lean in and say, God, is this the opportunity you put in front of me? All right, here we go. Let's talk. You might be my Nineveh, but I'm God's messenger. Because I'm all he's got. You're all he's got. You're plan A. You're plan B. You're plan C. You're all he has. You are Christ's ambassador as if though he were making his appeal through you. Calling all men to be reconciled to God. If you won't do it and I won't do it, let me tell you this. No one will. It's not the job of the internet or social media. We are his ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us and calling us to sometimes go to the very places we don't want to go. And man, I got a list of those I got to work on. So let's end up with this. This storm is a form of discipline. And God is going to show his mercy. You look at Jonah. I'm going to look at, go a little bit further. I told you I wouldn't, but I'm going to. Jonah went down to the deck below. He lay down. He fell asleep in the cabin. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call in your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us. We won't perish. The sailors said to us, Come, let's cast lots. A lot falls to Jonah. They asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble. I'm going to, we're going to revisit some of this stuff next week. You know, what did you do? Where are you from? What's your country? From what people are you? Look what he leads with. <laughs> I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. The, the order of that matters. The order of that matters. And he says, The God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. He said, What have you done? That he was running away from the Lord? Because he told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. (laughs) Uh, This is death by cop is what it is. It's not like he's a man of courage. He doesn't jump into the sea. God could have calmed the storm there. He's like, I can't do this. Just throw me in. I don't have the courage to jump over my own. Just grab me and throw me. But God in his mercy will spare Jonah. And we'll see that next week. God in his mercy will spare the sailors and the cargo and the ships. God in his mercy will spare Nineveh. God in his mercy will spare a myriad of people. Here's the last thing we'll end with. Maybe the most beautiful thing you can ask for God is say, God, in your mercy, discipline me if you have to. God, in your mercy, challenge me, push me. God, in your mercy, have your way. Have your way, God. Whatever you got to do to get my attention, God, if I'm going to Tarshish, help me turn the ship around. Help me get off this boat. i got to jump ship right now. I'm headed to Tarshish, and I don't want to go there, man. I don't want to go there in my job, in my marriage, with my family, with my children. I'm headed someplace, and it's like, I, this is an illusion where I'm chasing. It's going to take me to a dark place. It's not going to take me any place I need to go. I need off this boat right now. And so if you say, God, I can't get off, have somebody else get me off this boat. Get me out of here. And they say, God, redeem me for your purposes. Redeem me for your plan. All right. I think we've covered everything we're going to cover tonight because I think I'm, I'm out of room and out of time. Final questions. Do you ever run from God? When he's putting an opportunity in front of you, when he's challenging not to buy that ticket, do you ever run from God? The other thing I'd say, do you ever look at those, those false points of call, like Tarshish? Is there anything that you put out in front of you that all of a sudden you found yourself looking at going, why do I keep looking at this as if it's my solution? And I don't know what that is for you. It may be another job, another house, another friend, another man, another woman. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But have you ever found yourself looking at a false point of call and wondering, And then it's not just a matter of looking at it. Have you ever found yourself going, oh, my word, I bought the dad blasted ticket. As you think about that that thing on your wrist right now, ask yourself that question. Is there any area in my life where I'm headed for Tarshish? Is there any area in my life where, man, and maybe you've not bought the ticket yet, maybe you're standing in line. And you're looking at it going, if I play this thing out, to its common denominator. If you play this thing out that you want to chase after, where is it ultimately going to take you? And who's going to pay the price because of it? Who's going to pay the price in your world if you buy this ticket today? Who's going to be burdened by it? 
Who's going to be paying by it? Because listen, just because you bought the ticket doesn't mean you've got to get on the boat. Just because you bought the ticket doesn't mean you've got to get on the boat. Think about that. Just because you bought the ticket doesn't mean you've got to get on the boat. And if you're already on it, then beg God, send a storm. Get me off this boat. Whatever you've got to do, disrupt my family, disrupt my own heart, disrupt me, but don't let me go there. Because the further I get that way, the further I get from your presence. The more I head for Tarshish, the further I get from your calling. The more I head towards this person, this job, this thing I want to buy, this thing I'm obsessed with, the longer I chase this illusion, the more I can feel myself getting distance from you. The longer I try to justify Tarshish, the further I feel. And you know that the wind will feel the sails and it will do its best to push you along. Ask God to disrupt you. Just because you bought the ticket doesn't mean you got to get on the boat. Well, I hope you enjoyed Jonah. You may say, that guy, I'm never coming back to that class again. Uh, I tend to be pretty direct and upfront, so hopefully you can give me grace and all that. This book is amazing, guys. So even if, if my style isn't your style, you just got six weeks of me. That's it. We're done, man. You can endure anything for six weeks. Uh, it really is fascinating. Thank you, guys. A crew of you guys coming in. We're going to try to make this fun. We're going to try to make it challenging. We'll get more table discussion as we go. I didn't want to overwhelm you first night. Um, appreciate it. Uh, let's just pray out, and uh, we'll be done. Jesus, thank you for Jonah and for the lessons that we learned from him. God, I thank you that in your mercy that you do care about all nations, all tribes, all people. And God, in moments that we try in our own heart to, devolve, to, to, to identify nationally or identify with whatever culture it is that, that we want to put ourselves in opposition, God, I pray that you'd use the life of Jonah to stare, tear down those strongholds. And Lord, help us to love and have compassion the way you love and have compassion. And God, in the same way, I pray that the tickets we buy and the tarshes we we pursue, that God, I pray for those who are impacted by our decisions. Uh, God, I pray for for those who bear the weight of pain. And Lord, I pray that in our own lives, uh, that if we bought that ticket, God, that we would, one, either not get on the boat, or God, do everything possible just to say, we need to get off right now. And God, may you lead us to repentance. Uh, God, I do pray that we'd be a bit more receptive of that than Jonah's going to be. But Lord, uh, we're glad to learn from him. Shall we pray? Amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.